0: Lively discussion is bouncing off the walls of the assembly chambers and for a weeknight in Petersburg, turnout is impressive. Fishermen, young and old, wearing brown extra tough boots or button downs came to engage with the visiting scientists. Climate change is the topic du jour, but Marisha Shimkoviak and Andrew Steinkruger aren't climate scientists, they're social scientists. They host conversations like these all over Alaska to gain a better understanding of stressors on fishing communities. Shimkoviak leads the conversation. Um,
1: Fishermen don't show up necessarily to all of the conversations that affect their long-term life, right? (laughs) Their lifestyle, their economic portfolio, and so on. And as researchers, we sometimes wonder, you know, why aren't fishermen sort of at the table? You know, where are they? Are
2: you, uh, maybe, maybe you're saying an opportunity
0: That's Petersburg fisherman Cindy Moyer. She says fishermen are left out of the climate conversation and feels frustrated with outsiders making decisions that influence their bottom line.
3: You're going to save the whales. You're going to save the, I don't know, whatever you're going to save. There's all these entities out there
0: that have
3: really good feelings about what they want to save, but they have no clue about what's really going on. And so they get on their high horse and they get a lot of money and they start going after the livelihood of people who have been doing this for hundreds of years because they just don't understand.
0: The fishing industry built Petersburg a century ago and fishing sustained the people who lived here long before the island was colonized. Moyer says hasty environmental policy could hurt this legacy. I want to make sure the next generation can keep fishing. The next generation wants to live this way. Government overreach has taken a lot of that possibility away. In addition to expanded government regulation, fisherman Jared Bright is worried about the possibility of offshore green energy developments coming to coastal Alaska. These green energy developments are known to interfere with fishing operations on the east coast, it can be hard to maneuver boats around them.
3: Wind farms are on the East Coast, that's kind of a big deal. Like, someday that could come here. Like, I'm way more worried about them cutting us out of fishing area for their wind farms or some sort of tide power generation than I the am. The
0: group has little confidence that available science can confidently predict how climate change will affect their ability to fish in the future. However, many concede that they see dropping quotas for species like black cod, Bright is confident that the local fisheries will weather the storm if the government can stay out of their business.
3: Fishermen are very adaptive and very Neanderthal at the same time, but we, we figure stuff out, just don't get in our way too much with these overregulated things.
0: Researcher Andrew Steinkruger says the group's focus on policy set Petersburg apart from other workshops.
3: One thing we really saw today is that Petersburg fishermen are really invested in the policy process. Uh, and that's just a function of their really deep engagement in regional fisheries. And so they're really able to speak to the challenges that they're seeing in their fisheries today in terms of the policy process.
0: But Petersburg is not the first place the team encountered concerns about intergenerational access, debt structure, and sagging markets. Shimkoviak paraphrases what she's heard across Alaska.
1: Is it climate change? I don't know. You know, I think our ecosystems are always changing. Is it a thing I think about? Definitely. But it might not be on my top couple of things because I'm dealing with near-term issues, you know, around operating costs and regulations and markets and so on. And then what do I need? What I
0: need is I need to be able to be a fisherman. The team says they're planning more workshops on the Alaskan coast. Their next steps are to synthesize the similarities and differences of how fishing communities are responding to climate change. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Kodiak's Tanner Crab Fleet Fleet spent the first two weeks of the season tied up at the docks, awaiting better prices from local seafood processors. And after a highly anticipated opener just over a week ago, the season is nearly over. Most of the fishery had closed by the end of last weekend. Kirsten Dobreth has this update from Kodiak.
3: Fisherman Eddie Perez was selling tanners from his boat, the Vero Victoria, on Monday morning. He had about 500 crabs on board when he pulled up to the dock and he expected to sell out by noon.
2: Everybody's been really excited, happy that local fishermen are offering to the community and it's been going pretty good.
3: Kodiak's Tanner crab season started last Monday, two weeks after the scheduled opener when the entire fleet refused to go fishing because of low prices from local processors. And after a few early days of heavy rain and fog, the clouds parted and fishing went fast. Kodiak's Tanner Crab Fishery is divided into three main sections. The biggest is the east side, which has a harvest level of 4 million pounds of tanners this year. 99 vessels had been fishing on the east side of the island since fishermen set their gear last week. That entire quota was caught by the weekend, and Alaska's Department of Fish and Game closed the area Sunday afternoon. Fishing is slowing down in other areas, too. Fish and Game announced that the fishery's southeast section would close Monday evening, just about a quarter of the quota in the fishery's southwest section was left as of Monday. This year's harvest level for Kodiak's entire tanner crab fishery is 5.8 million pounds, more than five times the size of last year. Biologists from Fish and Game expected this year's big quota to be the peak of a cohort they've been watching since 2018. But Perez says he's optimistic about the years to come.
2: By what I saw, I think we got a couple more seasons, healthy seasons coming for us.
3: Meanwhile, more than a dozen boats were sitting on anchor just outside the downtown harbor on Monday. Word on the dock was that wait times to tie up at one of the local processors was four to five days. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath.
0: Alaskans have been pursuing healthier lifestyles by many measures. But distributing trends of violence and suicide continued to plague the population, according to status reports released by the Alaska Department of Health. The Alaska Beacon reports that the Healthy Alaskans 2020 final report and scorecard issued by the department last week painted a mixed picture of progress over a decade. Among the 25 indicators measured were some targets accomplished, but also some setbacks. Among the striking improvements shown in the 2020 results released last week was a reduction in the rate of cancer deaths in Alaska. While cancer remains the leading cause of death in the state, the rate fell significantly, decreasing by more than 15% over two decades. More positive news was shown in declines of tobacco use and binge drinking. Additionally, there was increased access to medical care and support Negative trends shown in the scorecard were statistics for the various traumatic harms that Alaskans continue to suffer. Suicide rates increased by more than 25 percent in the last decade, and rates of rape increased by about 20 percent in just six years. Rates of domestic violence increased, though not as dramatically, according to the scorecard. U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan urged the Alaska legislature to use its collective power to support the Willow Project, Kanoko-Phillips' big Arctic drilling proposal.
2: Highest environmental standards and lowest greenhouse gas emissions of any major project like this in the world and broad-based support from so many Alaskans, particularly the Alaska Native leaders, and Alaska Native citizens who live in the region.
0: Sullivan, in his annual address to the Alaska legislature, asked state lawmakers to pass a resolution supporting Willow. But he says the battle over the project will be ferocious over the next month while the Biden administration decides whether to greenlight the proposal. That's because environmental advocates fiercely oppose the project. So do the city and tribe of the nearest village. They say the project will endanger wildlife and subsistence lifestyles while accelerating climate change. Sullivan's speech focused on the traditional Alaska complaints of a heavy-handed federal government and the hopes that the state will prosper through the resource extraction and military spending.
2: Since I've been in office, we have secured billions in military construction for Alaska. And that is continuing. This, of course, has enhanced America's national security, but it's also been great a way to strengthen our economy and increase job growth in Alaska.
0: Sullivan blamed the Biden administration for restraining resource development in the state, which he calls a war on Alaska. Sullivan also promised a new Coast Guard icebreaker is coming. He says it will be homeported in Juneau due to his work behind the scenes.
2: So every now and then you can leverage things like confirmation or promotions of Coast Guard officers, and that's what I did. So we're not moving forward on any more promotions in the Coast Guard until we get this study of where you're going to put the icebreaker in our state.
0: But money to buy the next icebreaker, a relatively small commercial ship that's already built, was cut at the last minute from the federal spending bill last year. Alaska Congresswoman Mary Peltola will also make a speech to the Alaska legislature this month, followed by Murkowski. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert. Coming up, local and marine.